0: Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey.
1: You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your
0: family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pad swim to
1: the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like,
0: oh my god, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my god, you didn't touch them, did you?
1: Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again, if they out, it is just a little indicator
0: of larger threats.
1: My dad said, So, what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, We were taking nude photos.
0: Hey everyone, I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I'm going to go ahead and get right into today's episode, which is actually somewhat of a repeat. I'm putting together episodes number 68 and number 69 as a single episode. It is with music composer, arranger, and producer Luis Guerra. He's an award-winning podcast composer, and his music has been heard by millions in movies, including Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, 18 and a Half, and many others. I recently shared some of Luis's insightful advice on creativity during episode 93 with artist Madison Silva. And I did mention in that episode that I wanted to start putting my episodes together that I had split up earlier in my podcasting career. I wasn't really sure what the direction of the show was, how long the episodes should be. And all of that sort of thing. And I'm realizing in hindsight that splitting up an entire conversation was a disservice to my guests. So I'm going to start a series that I want to call the whole shebang. And that's going to be all of these episodes that I split up. And there's, you know, probably about 10 of them, which I will over time turn into single episodes and post here but it'll be the whole shebang series and with my apologies to previous guests I am super excited to begin to present those interviews in their entirety so without further ado please grab a cuppa and join Luis Guerra and me in this whole shebang in the company of friends talk and my background is my family's from Costa Rica, so I always fall back on my Spanish pronunciation of what appears to me to be a Spanish name. Although I'm sure that Luis could be from a variety of different backgrounds.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, um, are you recording me? I can't see anything being recorded into my track, so I just want to make sure before I respond to that because, you know, my wife, she has Costa Rican blood as well
0: oh really yes i do see my little zigzags here
1: okay cool anyway yeah my wife her mom was costa rican she's now deceased but so we actually have costa rican blood in my family now and uh that's amazing i'm on a tico chat like on whatsapp i rarely have time to respond but they're always throwing jokes and (laughs) sending pictures of these amazing places i'm like i just want to go live there you know i mean travel there again (laughs) it's so beautiful
0: it's such a beautiful place and it's so diverse. I still have family there. My aunt was always telling me, you know, whenever you have a chance, come out, you can stay at my place. And I was sitting at work one day and I just, my daughter's name is Sophia. I texted her. Do you want to go to Costa Rica? I was just daydreaming. And she said, yes. So wow. I
1: whos going to say no, right? I <laughs> well, I guess some people like, I don't know, well, I can't rob I'm like, not in Costa Rica, most likely, but anyway,
0: we went and we had such a great time. You know, we, of course, went to the beaches, which Costa Rica oh. is known about. We went to the rainforest, but we ended up in this little town called Sarceto, mm. which is kind of inland and it's mountainous and it's almost like this tropical Swiss community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and They're actually known for their cheeses and they have these little like Swiss homes, you know, there's no snow, but there's definitely mountains and it was pretty cold while we were there.
1: Yeah. It's such a like diverse country and it changes climates on you literally like, I mean, it's right there. Just go up a little elevation and you are, it's cold and it's rainy and there's a volcano or whatever, or you go lower and it's just hot and sweaty and you're on the, I mean, you're getting bit by bugs. It's just, it's, I love it. (laughs) I really do love that place. I love parts of Mexico. I love um, Guatemala. I just love Central America and South America, really. It's just like, God, I could just spend so much time
0: <laughs> just so traveling. many beautiful there, places. Right? <laughs> yeah. Where? what's yeah. your background?
1: My background, uh, my mother's Jewish and her family, they were like New York Jews. Um, she's sort of the last um, descendant there. And my dad, hes Mexican-American, uh, but his family, they're all northern Mexico and then down to like Mexico City. So we definitely have primos. We have cousins all over um, and family, kind of extended family all around northern Mexico. Um, and there's definitely an indigenous factor there, you know, like on both of his parents' bloodline. And then, uh, of course, there was a Spanish contingent with Guerra, which I guess dates back to like, oh, I don't know, 1500s, late 1500s that arrived in Mexico. So I identify as Chicano mainly because I grew up with my dad in San Antonio. And so that culture did kind of sit with me. But really, when I break it down, I'm probably more, I have just a slight amount of more Jewish blood based on my mom's lineage, now I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for quite some time. And a lot of my friends are of the Jewish tradition, Jewish faith, they invite us, uh, my family to a lot of holidays and events. And so and whether it's bar mitzvahs, or, you know, Seder dinners or whatever. And so now I'm starting to feel Jewish, actually, for the first time in my life. Oh, which wow! Is, you know, I love those people. Um, I love hanging out with all my friends there. But really, I don't. I mean, it's just, I'm just kind of a mix. Um, I'm, I, I'm not one thing or another. We're all sort of mixed in America, I feel like. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And I know that Jewish is both a culture and a religion. You would actually be Jewish based on the maternal lineage what, exactly. of one of those, right?
1: That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And my mom didn't really practice. So there was very little religious tradition on her side, but culturally she really does identify with sort of Jewish culture and more so even like American Jewish culture, whatever that is, East coast that is gone. She, um, she lived on the West coast for a while. Um, she's bounced around, but it, it there is, I feel like a sort of a thing about, or there is a distinction. Um, and I won't get into it cause I have not spent time in Israel, but Definitely my friends that have or are Israeli, they definitely mentioned more than once to me specifically that I'm more like their Jewish friends from New York or, you know, I guess LA now, but, um, than anywhere. So I think there is a cultural sensibility, but, um, I don't necessarily know as much about the religious tradition because I didn't grow up with it at all like zero I was I was raised as a Catholic more on the Mexican side or Latino side but which was very mixed with like superstition <laughs> and curanderismo and I kind of grew up in that world and I still sort of exist and not I'm not Catholic. I don't really practice any religion per se, but I definitely believe in sort of what I learned in, you know, my Latin American travels and my cultural heritage. And I can't help but acknowledge that there's some religion dogma that probably I learned so early on in my life that is probably still maintained to this day. You know, just my worldview and my bias toward the world is probably influenced by Catholicism to some degree, for better or worse. (laughs) I was almost going to say (laughs)
0: unfortunately. I'm going to try to be neutral.
1: I'm going to try to be neutral as I can in this conversation.
0: (laughs) It's that that, whole recovering Catholic idea, right? Um, (laughs) That's what I grew up with too. And I'm not (laughs) of any particular religion or tradition, but I did have a lot of friends who are Jewish. I worked at a place where like 90% of the people there were Jewish. And so Mm -hmm. I was really fortunate to be invited to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and a lot of different events. And there's just so many beautiful traditions and just going over to their homes. It was... Really lovely.
1: I love it and I love all my friends, and they've really embraced my me and my family in, uh, in Los Angeles, which is just awesome. My daughter has a lot of friends of the Jewish faith. They're just some of my closest friends they have become over the years, and they kind of accept our sort of I don't know non-traditional approach to living. And me as a creative person and my daughter, who's just like she's an awesome musician in her own right. And it's just really cool to find that like there's no judgment, there's no bias, there's no we don't really discuss politics or religion very often, but there's just a sort of warmth and acceptance that I did not feel very much growing up Catholic. I felt there, there was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of bias. There was a lot of, and I'm not trying to like dish on the, uh, you know, Catholic religion. Cause I mean, right. there's more acceptance. Um, and I do have friends that are Catholic that I love very much as well. Um, I'm just saying where I grew up was very much It was probably colonial in the sense it was still a holdover. There was still that mentality. And I think Catholicism did play a large part in how the Americas were settled. Um, And it was sort of ingrained, you know, and it was kind of taken like, you guys just practice Catholicism unless you are a colonizer. And then you could be like, I don't know, Methodist, Baptist, presbyterian or christian outside of the catholic religion so it was very interesting and it definitely happened in my family i saw it a lot you know there was um there's a lot of obligation to practice religion and whatnot but uh, my jewish friends there's just never an obligation it's amazing
0: <laughs> it's like yeah there's Definitely a big difference. And I guess you would notice Mm -hmm. that colonialism, especially in San Antonio and through San Antonio and El Paso and all that. So close to the border. There's that very Catholic, very Hispanic influence, right?
1: Very much so. And there's very much an identity and a... I think you know it's just very different the way i was raised versus say the way my daughter is growing up in los angeles and i just feel like there's just so much possibility here in la um there always has been um there's creative people and that's i feel like the pervasive sort of cultural fingerprint that kind of runs through and correlates through sort of the larger population and i'm speaking very generally because los angeles is such a mishmash of things whereas in san antonio there was a bit of a identity um what's the word I mean there was it was sort of based on the assumption there were a lot of assumptions there was a lot of assumed things. And one of them was like creative people or creativity was not necessarily embraced. I mean, there was pockets, but it was very traditional and it was very kind of neo-colonial and it was very religious. And so, you know, through that kind of lens, you would make decisions and people made their decisions. And a lot of people just, you know, they stuck around, they stayed there and it's very comfortable. I don't blame them. I'm just saying that wasn't for me. So I had to leave very early, early on, you know, right, uh, which I did. And, you know, for better or worse, my parents had split up and my mom landed in the Bay Area. And when we sort of reconnected, I was a little older because she left. I don't know what happened exactly, but she left and she left four kids with my dad. And he kind of re- he raised us for a while. But eventually we reconnected with her and I started going to the Bay Area. And that's when really like my sort of like music education and my love for music really sort of started to blossom. And I started started to see like, oh, people, could can- they were living this. They were doing that. And in Texas... South Texas specifically, I didn't know many people until I moved to Austin as a teenager, but I really didn't know people doing music. (laughs) Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know what I mean? So that was interesting. But I knew a lot of people that were business or they were medicine or, you know, they were lawyers or they, you know, government, they had a career. That was the trajectory for them. And, you know, cool, more power to them. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's it's just very different. I, I don't know how I ended up with this worldview, but I sort of stayed in music And uh, I have eventually landed in a place where it's, yes, there are people that it's possible to make a living doing music. I embrace it. You know, I embrace it. And I embrace creative people (laughs) that think outside the box.
0: Were you drawn to music while you were still in San Antonio and just found that it wasn't going to be an avenue for you if you stayed there?
1: Yeah, it was sort of like I think my dad just somehow caught wind or he knew like I think he played music when he was young. He played in like marching bands and stuff, but then he got drafted into Vietnam and he pursued medicine and he just pursued a much more formalized version of his life. But at one point he played clarinet, he played saxophone and he knew about music. And I know my grandfather also was like he was like a music director briefly or like a band director for like high school. So he knew how to play piano and they sort of. They knew the power of music somewhere in there. So my dad was very much like, look, kids, four of us. He's like, y'all are all going to learn how to play an instrument and read and write. So I actually was introduced to music very, very early on.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Probably like five or six. I started playing. Um, I remember like first drum lessons were I couldn't have been older than seven. So I actually was like exposed very early on. There was guitars. There was a piano at the house um, or eventually there was a piano. And I have two older sisters and an older brother. They all went into music at some point. My two older sisters could play piano. Like I have an older sister that could just sit down and, you know, she could read and probably still can can to this day um, really paid attention during her lessons. I was a little more probably had ADHD, probably still have it to some extent. And (laughs) I just kind of bounced around. I was like, oh, guitar, I'm going to play guitar. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm like, I hate this. And I'm like, I'm going to go play piano. (laughs) And so I think at a certain point, my dad's like, whatever you do. And I was the youngest. He's just like good luck, you know, and eventually I gravitated towards the bass guitar and eventually towards acoustic bass, like as a teenager really at around 1112. And I got very deep into the study because my dad threw down he he paid for uh, private lessons. And that just opened me up to an incredible world of wow, you can play music, you can read, you can write, you can do all these things with it. And, and for somebody like myself, I love to learn. And so he sort of helped me. But I don't think that my dad really ever thought it would turn into a career. In fact, I don't think any of us did, really. Like, I think it was sort of like, good luck. I mean, nobody else in my family pursued it. But I don't know, I just stuck with it. And um, yeah, it started very early on in my life. And it's been a through line. And I've tried to leave it multiple times. I got to do something else. This is ridiculous. (laughs) But I just stuck with it. You know what I mean? And I love it. I love it.
0: I could see how having this amazing world opened up to you where, like you said, you could play it, you could read it, you could write it, you could do all of this. It would kind of focus you on some of that ADHD. And and I also have to add that. I think a lot of creative people have ADHD. I I know I do. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I I think think that that's kind of a feature of being creative.
1: So I think it's like it's a spectrum, right? I think we have a number of conditions that are sort of we're just trying to stay tethered. And I think there's been times in my life where it's been very challenging for the groups that I've played with or performed with or worked with because it's hard to keep me doing just like one thing right over and over and over and that was sort of became my problem with like I, I eventually started getting a lot of work as a bass player like because I could play I could read you know I knew a little bit about arrangement but I knew how to like go into a studio focus play the parts I practice my instruments all the time so like I was I was really into that and it really did turn into a career for me early on and I didn't even I, I look back on that like I could only imagine how difficult i was to work with you know at that point <laughs> because i just was like let's try this let's do that you know i'm like let's i'm game but it wasn't my session i was just like hired gun and so i really didn't know what the hell i was doing but i knew the technical sort of side of music which i still it's like i use it all the time and i'm very grateful for that you know early on that exposure i feel like a lot of music is sort of spoon-fed to us now like the way to learn it you know there's all these programs and apps and it's just very different you know and i remember even later in my life when i was in my 30s i think and i had a great orchestration arranging teacher from from uh, cuba from cuba who just would kick my ass over and over and he would like literally ask me to show up without an instrument i couldn't touch any of his instruments it was all learning how to like read and write or It was like almost retraining my brain to write music with just a pencil and paper and a relative staff because I don't have perfect pitch it was pretty fascinating. I got to say it's still, I think about that a lot because I, I employ that, but there's no way that would have happened if I didn't have the education early on that stuck with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no way, like I would have been like, um, I don't know. <laughs> well, right. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so to
0: have that level of discipline all of a sudden kind of foisted yeah. on you. I mean, that, yeah. and that takes a lot of discipline within yourself to not touch anything. I'm sure that, you know, he was telling you don't touch this or I'm not going to be training you any longer but
1: i don't know i don't know what he was doing honestly i remember leaving there a couple of times i tell my daughter about it. i remember leaving those lessons i'm in my 30s right like i'm a grown person adult have a house you know all that you know responsible i remember leaving there crying like i was just like like i was broken from the interaction because you would just realize like how little you knew or I did, right? Like I was like, it was the reflection of like, wow, I really don't know shit about music. You know what I mean? Like, then there's that level and you're like, wow. You know, just in awe, but kind of shocked at the same time because it's just so humbling, right? To real, and that's what I feel like is so great about. A creative discipline in your life, whether you do it professionally, amateur, just dabble, whatever. It's just so humbling if you allow for it to give you the constant, Reminder: If you're open to that, if you think you know it, well, then you probably picked the wrong. I think that's that applies to many careers. But I know with music, you don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just it's impossible. It's too deep. The ocean's too deep, right? It's like you're not going to ever hit the bottom. You're just there's just no way you're going to ever touch the bottom. Like and not in a metaphorical, like, oh, I'm going to hit the bottom. I'm just saying, like, there's just too much information. There's too many directions. And so from somebody like me, it really did start to tether me to some degree. Otherwise, I don't know what I would be doing. I'd probably be an insane... I I don't know what I would be doing at this point. I I, I worry about that, um, but it worked out, you know, and it's worked out and it continues to. And there's also something about the heart connection that's not necessarily theoretical um, that I've learned over the years that I can't say that some of my teachers really exemplified. They really showed me that. They didn't ever talk to me about that, right? And I think that's a very strong powerful part of this discussion and you you learned that early on um and then you know your life plays out and it, and it happens right trauma and mm-hmm. you know good ups and downs and I think music's for me it's been a great sort of vehicle um way to transcend some of that and really like rely on that to be just that that it's been therapeutic for me that has been religion for me that has been grounding for somebody like me who you know I do need that um I think we all do I think as people I think that's I don't know. I'm going on a tangent, but like that's that's sort of where this is all. I mean, that's if I didn't have that early on, there is no way that any of these other experiences would have took place.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I that's how I feel with writing. A lot of times, it it is pouring yourself into something, and there's that cathartic element about it and that vastness and i think that that is what makes it so alluring like i am never no matter how much i write and then with you no matter how much how much you do with music you are never going to be able to do everything that's available to you and that's pretty amazing it's endless
1: endless if you open yourself if you allow for that i know people that like they get so good on an instrument like one instrument or like a group of instruments they sort of they become masters in this life so to speak but they do not dabble in comp- composition or arranging or production which are whole they're entirely they're in their crafts to themselves that literally would take decades to um, to amass the information that they have like on one instrument right And that is something that is very interesting to me. Like you dedicate and you find fulfillment from one thing. I did not, I was not able to do that. I still am not able to do that from like one instrument, one vehicle. And it's a very interesting observation, I got to say, you know, and that's for really anybody. That's for people that do anything that they're passionate about, that they feel like is endless. That's like. Right now I'm deep into like learning about neurology and neuroscience because I have, um, we'll get to that. But like, that is fascinating when I listen to podcasts or when I speak to with my neurologist or I speak with somebody who's studying it, it is so expansive, right? And you're like, I thought I was doing something that was felt endless. <laughs> you know what I mean? But
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's, well, I think it's it's having that curiosity. I think curiosity is a seed to a lot of different um options that are available to each of us and you know you could as a composer you could write so much about exactly what you're talking about this neurology and
1: I really I would love to talk about music and like what it does to people and uh, just the inspiration because I really feel like there, there are so many people out there that just don't realize that they have that spark they just they've been shut it's been shut down you know what I mean and if there's anything that I could say or do in my life. It's like, I want to sort of as best as I can uplift people to explore their own potential, right? Whether they're writing or cooking or teaching yoga or doing law or whatever it is, whoever shut that down, because it did happen to me at some point, you know, with other disciplines, um, there was a point where i wanted to be a writer right but i had like one it was like one english teacher was like no you should stick with music because you can't basically it's like you kind of suck at writing so why don't you just stick with what you're good oh, at no. you know? and it's like i really wanted to write at one point in my life but i guess from whoever the lens of whoever was in charge they were like yeah but then as i look at it now as a 48 year old person latino male here's this white woman who's telling me is like a, again, Latino teenager. And she probably knew that one fucking thing about where I was coming from in terms of my identity exactly. and so it probably just shut down because it's like, yo, this is too radical for me to understand. And I feel like unfortunately that still plays out in our society so much. So if anything that I can say or do, it's really the, like, if you feel like you're inspired to try something, like go for it, because I'm telling you, your life can change and it can end and then you didn't try it and then it's only you to feel bad about that and it will cause some negativity i'm sorry if you allow for it and and i really hope that like spreading that awareness that positivity through podcasting through you know interviews through writing now through all that shit that's very important part of this anyway not to um i i yeah
0: no i completely agree i think that if you have the spark within yourself to communicate. We have, Mm -hmm. you know, we can communicate with words. Clearly everybody knows that, but I think there's so many other avenues of communicating. You mentioned food, which wasn't even on my radar Mm -hmm. until you mentioned it, Mm -hmm. but you can make a dish with love. And those are the dishes that everybody remembers. You know, my grandmother used to make X, Y, Z, and it was so amazing. And when you recreate that dish, you feel that emotional connection again, you open it back up. And music definitely has that ability. Whenever I listen to music, Mm -hmm. I always feel like I'm listening to a foreign language Mm -hmm. that I can't speak, but I can understand it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think that that is true of Any endeavor Mm -hmm. that anybody embarks on, you can do it with love and you should listen to your spark. You should listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't let other people, you know, make you second guess your ability because you might not be at that place that you want to be, whoever you're. That's right role model is that you really want to emulate. You might not be there yet, but you will get there with practice. And and then that makes those voices disappear eventually, right? I think
1: so. And I think it's like, I think what you're alluding to is love. I'm sort of I'm sort of making drawing a parallel that I use very often, which is intention. Right? It's like intentional cooking. Mm. It's like intentional composition. It's intentional embracing. It's intentional blah blah blah. And, and I think about that a lot, like our intention that we do. Like if I'm if I'm writing something, I'm really pissed off. It generally sounds pissed off, and that might connect for the right. Say I'm writing a Q in a dramatic, suspenseful you know, movie, sure, that might work. But if I'm writing for something that's supposed to be comedic and dark, it might not work. And then there's a disconnect because really I was in the wrong place and I was just trying to like deliver something based on a deadline. And so I think it isn't always possible to hit or to to just like connect the intention or the love with what we're doing. I'm just I want to be clear about that because people are like, well I don't know, how do you do it? You know, and I get I get asked this frequently, like, well why are you getting the jobs that you get, right? And It's come up many times, especially with better musicians, because it's such a competitive, hyper-competitive world we live in across, outside of. Right.
0: And
1: I do this a lot. I tell people, well, I'm like, well, I meditate a lot. And they're like, well, what do you meditate on? I'm like, well, I have my own meditations. I do a lot of breath work. I do a lot of yoga. I do, I eat plant-based. I do all these things in my day-to-day, my daily practice, my discipline to help me get to a point where I am ready to write a piece of music. That is what I'm doing. That's it and it's like what is best for the piece of music but it's taken me let's say 3 3ish decades to get to that point let's say that it's been 15 years of practicing major health problem right a not easy childhood you know and like there's been enough turmoil in the world outside of me where i'm i am observing that that does influence me i'm just making the point that it it's not an overnight process. So you might as well get started back to like what you would, what you said earlier, it's like, go for it because you're not going to necessarily connect with it right now. But the intention, if you come correct, no matter what stage you are at, whether it's like, you know, changes the world, if your intention is clear and pure, it's like, you're already poisoning yourself for success, quote unquote, or you're already going to establish a connection just based on that. And I stand by that very much because I've seen it play out in my life. And I've seen it play out opposite in people that are like so competitive and they might be so great technically, but where what's happening with their heart? Have they done the work? Have they done what it takes to really connect what they're in, like? Is their intention behind what they're doing? Or is it just like going through the motions? Because there's a lot of people that will go through the motions in everything we've discussed so far, cooking, music, writing filmmaking, blah, 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 blah. But what about the people that really are intentional when they do it? Now, all of a sudden, they are already in the top 2%. Now, out of that, yes, you got to get better. And (laughs) there's no substitute for the hard work. But it does start with that love. It does start with that, in my opinion, the intention.
0: And that intention is really a lot of focus. It's kind of taking yourself out of the equation is what it sounds like a little bit. And Focusing Absolutely. and having that discipline of what is it that I'm trying Absolutely. to accomplish here?
1: Absolutely. And I've seen it so much with just composers in like my circle. They just bail. They're like, I don't want to hear notes. I don't want to take notes from somebody. And I'm like, but it's collaborative, man, like or woman or whoever, like you're collaborating. You're on a team. Why don't you want somebody to give you, fee- you know, in my mind? But that's after going through that, like, yeah, fuck whatever these people have to tell me, like they don't know shit, you know, like getting upset about it and realizing why am I getting upset? You know what I mean? Just because my ego got crushed. Well, then that's really a reflection of me, right? It's really like, yes. And and to get to that place, it's like only time, age, experience, like there is no shortcut to it. I know a few people that can get to it earlier, but
0: it's a lot of hard work. I'm not work. one of those people. <laughs> and. Does being intentional about what you're doing, I know that you hear a lot about these mental blocks, you know, like I got this writer's Mm. block or composer's block. Does this really help you with that? It does. I think,
1: you know. Definitely. It doesn't hurt to set it up as a business and have deadlines and people like, Hey, Luis, where's the blah, blah, blah. We asked you for on Tuesday and it's Thursday. You know I mean? And it happens sometimes, but most of the time I'm like schedule or whatever, but I do, I take on a lot of things. I have a hard time saying no, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that there is that aspect, but there's also the aspect of like, when I get stuck for me, it's like time to go walk or time to go cook or clean or clean my house or I don't know, take a break and come back and look at it again and see if I can connect to that or it's time to like meditate. Really? Like a lot of times it's like, I need to close my eyes. I need to meditate on something completely different. Maybe sometimes I'm meditating on the problem and trying to solve that and go into sort of this alpha state. If I can, if I have the time, the bandwidth, it's like, I really am trying to like, what is the musical problem I'm trying to solve? Because in my mind, everything can be solved. Everything is a sort of problem, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my headspace or what's happened to me that I'm in the right place. So yes, I feel like the intention helps me kind of get over those hurdles, but it's not like it's not a, it's not a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. There are other factors to play. If I'm having a really bad physical health day, it's like, it's going to be impossible to do anything. Like I'm just, it's disabled, I'm disabled, right? For that time period. And that's just the reality. And that's sort of the reality of, you know, living with this condition that I've unfortunately had to realize, right? It's like, oh shit, it really can pull you out of the game. And just sort of being like, well, okay, there's nothing I can do. It's out of my control. And all of my intention in my, I can't think myself through, I can't think around it. I can't think myself through it. I just have to kind of go through this and get to a place where hopefully I can solve the problem, maybe a little more focused. Maybe I have the tools or maybe somebody is gonna help me out at that point in time, which has happened a lot and realize that I'm just one person. I'm just human. And you know, it's okay. I think intention and writer's block and composer's block and like all those things also have a companion. And that is compassion, compassion for ourselves that we don't necessarily have to have all the answers when we're supposed to like, it's okay. You know what I mean? And like, shit really does happen. And it's beyond our control. And it's Mm -hmm. okay. And I feel like a lot of people, they don't realize that. They just feel pressure. I know I'm one that leans on the pressure and, the, and kind of the anxiety or the stress, but really, it's okay. And if you're around people that are just constantly feeding you stress and like, it's got to get done you got to do this and why is this not working and blah, blah, blah. It's like, maybe you need to rethink who you're around, right? And who you're spending your time with and find yourself around people that are positive and a little more grounding. And I'm not saying that's an easy I'm not saying go on match.com and start finding people (laughs) like, Oh, this person sounds, I'm just saying that it's like, they're a big part of what we're talking about is energy. And it starts with ourselves. And it's taken me a long, long, I mean, it's taken most of my life to even get to this place where we can even have the discussion about it. But I am also saying that there's truth in that. And that also helps me get around these problems because it does happen where I'm like, Oh shit. I got to write 10 cues. Like I was just thinking about this this weekend because I'm like, oh, man, you know, these people were trying to reach out to me all week and like, you know, whatever app they were trying to message me on was like down for whatever or was on my phone. It was just like, probably I probably need to update my phone. <laughs> and I'll get around to it. But the point was, it's like, I don't want to leave anybody hanging. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't like I'm not trying to harm anybody through this, but they are relying on me, you know, and I have a contract and it's like, OK. I am going to write music and get it to you by the end of the weekend. It might not be the 10 cues that we talked about, but it's going to be five that you're going to be very excited about. And I'll send you stems and it's going to all work out. Right. And just hearing that by a producer, hearing the composer, like, cool, you're on it. Yay. Thank you. Right. It just relieves stress. Now. Yes, of course it's on me. Yes, of course. I got to go and do my job and I can't fuck it up. And yes, of course. But I'm not worried about that. I'm really concerned that these people were stressing out because they could not reach me. And none of them wanted to violate my privacy of calling me or texting me on my phone, which I really do try to like look, hit me up. Like I don't care. I mean I might not hit you back immediately, but it's just stress. It's unnecessary stress. And I just I felt bad, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't want to call that for anybody. And yet, okay. Then it means I gotta work on the weekend. Okay. Well, you know, all right. I run my own business. It's like that's just part of the deal. But
0: goes with the territory. And and I think that part of that is also worrying about what the dialogue is that's getting spun because your mm-hmm. phone is not updated, right? And so you there's yeah, where this the stress then bounces back to you and it's it's this miscommunication. Yeah.
1: And it happens, right? The deeper you get into this because your intentions get you there or your talent gets you there, the more complicated it's going to become. So get ready. (laughs) Yes. You know what I'm saying? Update your phone or get somebody to do it. But it's like literally... That's such a not a concern of mine. You know what I mean? Like my phone, I'm like, yeah, whatever. My phone, yes, it's still. Why is my phone screwing up? It's like two years old. Why is it a bad you know, I don't even want to go down. Technology,
0: road. I think, <laughs> has just made everything so much more difficult. It's so complicated. It's so much more
1: complicated,
0: right? <laughs> it has made everything.
1: More anyway, we can have that
0: conversation. Oh my gosh. I was going to ask you, though, because you were just talking about how when you hit that block or you hit that, feeling of stress. And and you you gave a lot of solutions to it, you know, going for a walk, cleaning your house, um, removing yourself from people who are producing stress and anxiety responses within you. But one of the things that you did mention was meditation. How do you meditate? What are the the steps that you take to get yourself back to a grounded Mm -hmm. place?
1: Mm, good question. That's a really great, you know, I heard an interview on Trevor. No, I think of not long ago. No, sorry, it was a TEDx talk. It was a um, young person. I'm spacing out her name. She was interviewed by Trevor. No, but I heard her TEDx talk or TED talk. And it was really great what she was saying. She's like, and I think she goes, she uses she, she might go by they mm-hmm. anyway. So if I'm saying this wrong, incorrectly, I, my apologies, you know, but um, so I'm going to try to refer to them as they anyway. So they were mentioning that Instead of approaching your day as just like, I gotta be productive. I gotta be, pro- it's all about how much I can do. It's really about wellness first and then productivity. And it's a conversation, I'm lucky. I, I'm in a building with somebody that I've known for many, since I met him when I was 17 and he's a very successful record producer and he's invited me into his building twice now. And this is where my studio is and we have like two studios and we work on projects. And one thing he has told me over and over is like, look, I surf every day, you know, he lives by the ocean. And he's like, I try to surf every day. And if I can't, it really does affect what I'm doing. He's like, but that's first and foremost before I go to the studio and really crank out whatever for four to five hours. And so for me, I'm much more effective when I'm not burnt out, when I have slept, when I have meditated, when I've done yoga, when I've eaten healthy, which I do, right? I I have to because of this condition and I have no choice anymore, right? So like I've stopped drinking alcohol. I've really made some radical changes. and, And my point is all of those things take time. So I'm not going to work 12 hour days anymore. Like, I mean, if I have to be on a deadline, I would rather work over a weekend, three hours on a Saturday, you know, a couple hours on a Sunday, crank something out on six hours on a Monday. Now that's me, right? And that works for my lifestyle. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm spending so much time resetting, self-caring, meditating. I'm changing my meditation. I mean, I do a couple of the same ones, but um, I'm just trying to stay open to possibilities and realize that there are different meditations and there's different mindfulness practices that are very, 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 very powerful for me to you know, in my daily situation before I get to the studio. So when I go to the studio, it's all about like, okay, I'm going to like work on whatever I got to work on, you know, two cues, three cues, a theme song, a blah, blah, blah. Today I'm writing something for, you know, a really big streaming company that we all use their service. And so it's like the pressure's on. You can't screw that up. You right. know, it's to the frame, I like you know. But the pressure is really not on because I've already gone through a meditation this morning about not feeling pressure and not really. They're just people, right? And it's just it is a company. And yes, of course, they can squash me and they could blacklist me if they wanted to, if they somebody really had the time to do that, if I really messed this up, but at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, right? And it's sort of the realization and remembering that like, really, nobody is out to get me. That's something that I learned very early on in my childhood that I thought everybody was out to get me, right? And I ruminated on that and I ruminated and we're talking years and years and years. And so like, I really set up a negative loop that I'm still to this day trying to break. So part of my meditation is just to be functional throughout my day, which is creative largely because I have structured my life around I've made this my job. And because I've made this my job, that means I get paid money for it, which means that there is this sort of I have a contract and people there's an expectation. So if I pull myself out of that all of a sudden because I just want to make something for my own self and like screw blah, blah, blah. I don't care what they need. Well, it's not necessarily going to play out very well. So for me, the meditation I mean, I guess I guess it changes, but it's very much about trying to get my mind to just focus on what has to happen right now or at this moment in time. Like right now we're doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. When I hang up with you, it's like I am back to composing because I do have a I have multiple deadlines going and I feel the pressure, but I'm not going to succumb to the pressure and go freak out my wife and my 15 year old daughter because they're already feeling the stress that I have for something that is really affecting all of us, right? That we all have to deal with. And that is multiple sclerosis, which we can get to. But music to me is still positive. It's a gift. I'll deal with it. And meditation is the tool that sort of helps me. It's my guiding light. It sort of quiets my mind and lets me realize like, okay, calm down, take a breath, sit down. When you're done with your call with the podcast, I wish I don't want to like cancel this, which I thought about. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to like, (laughs) you know, I'm freaking out. But it's like, no, we should have this conversation, and I should learn how to do it. like it. It's all for a reason, and so it's like allowing myself to realize that everything has its place and its time, and, and again, intention like putting my best intention. Great. But I wouldn't have that prior to not meditating for years and doing yoga for years. I mean, like I've been doing yoga since my 20s on and off. And now I've been doing it for like the last six years, like every day, pretty much that changes your neuroplasticity over as time goes. I wish I'd been meditating that long, but I kind of blew it off because I had problems with my own ego. Like, I got this shit, man. I'm cool. I know what I'm doing, but no, really you don't. And the universe is there sort of to like help guide you to solve some of these problems, because there are going to be problems, there's going to be moments where you're like, I really don't know what to write, you know, for me, it's like, I really don't know what to compose. And like, they really want a John Williams, (laughs) sounding piece, and I'm not John Mm -hmm. Williams, you know, I'm not gonna lie, you know, and so it's like, but I'm gonna do what I do, right. And if they don't like it, okay, uh, next, like, I got to find those people that really support what I'm doing. And they don't really talk to me about it because they trust me. And that's a huge other part that I would love to talk about. Through meditation, you start to find the energetic sources, if you're open to it, right, of course, that really will allow for you to succeed. And I think as creative people, that is such an important part of this discussion is really building your team and really finding the people that they just trust you. And that trust for me came from like having to break down the layers of mistrust right the the rumination and the only way I, c- I could access it like me Luis, it was through meditation right now you can ask me specific meditations that i practice and i could tell you but they really do change and they have changed over the years and right now i'm doing meditations for health so i'm doing a lot of like breath work like kundalini for me and some people are like well i hate kundalini those are people that wear all white and they're like you know whatever the rich people and whatever and i'm like okay you can have that bias but it's also but it's like,
0: working for you
1: it's working very well and it's like it's not just that but i understand there's a lot of bias i know i'm a crazy person and you <laughs> could say like oh that guy's like, goes to Santa monica and does sound healing and you could take that approach and that bias but the bottom line is that i'm actually reshaping the way my brain sort of operates and i'm still composing And I'm still slowing the progression of a neurodegenerative disease. So you tell me, does it work? Does it not work? I'm going to err on the side that it does work. (laughs) So I'm not going to stop as long as I can.
0: And it sounds like the nice thing about meditation, what I'm getting out of it is, um, you know, listening to something that I can definitely connect with is that idea that every thing and everybody is out to get me. And I grew up with that too. And I know we don't really have the time today to get into it. So, you know, we'll have some conversation (laughs) another time, I hope. But I think yes, it's it's absolutely. kind of connected with growing up with that Catholicism and maybe even as somebody with, with a Latin background or Chicano background, Hispanic background. Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of yeah. a little bit indigenous in that. And then that yeah. idea, yeah. that toughness also that goes along with that, right? You get a little bit cocky. I don't need this meditation. And mm-hmm. being able to meditate mm-hmm. kind of allows you to switch that cockiness and that self-doubt into a milder confidence that opens up the idea that I can build a team of people and allows you to see the good people that are out there rather than focusing on the ones that are out to get you. Absolutely. And there
1: are certainly there are. Right. And there is I I work in a hyper, hyper, hyper competitive, like a cutthroat industry. I know that. But not everybody is out is is that way. Right. right? And it's sort of like I keep going back to that. Like if it's great, it's going to find its way. And it's hard to like make something great because I remember like coming to Los Angeles in the 90s and just being like, God, the black eyed peas. Like, come on, this is like bullshit. (laughs) And then my friend's like, yeah, you should go try to make a hit record. I was like, oh, yeah. Bam. Like, just like you're right. Who am I to say anything about anybody that has actually been able to connect their music on such a massive scale? I have not. Well, I'm looking at it now. It's like maybe, maybe I'm starting to get into that place to some degree, but like, I don't write hit records. I write theme music. I write background instrumental music. I write score. I write vibe. I write the mood. Now you strip that away. It's one thing. And yes, there are millions of people listening to my composition, millions and millions. Like I'm not going to downplay that, but the reality is like, there is no way I would have been able to even begin to compose that when I was so biased and not humble and so cocky and so kind of angry and angsty, and I still am, don't get me wrong. I mean, that hasn't totally gone away, but meditation is one way to just be humble and be like, you're not gonna win every job. You're just not gonna knock it out of the park every time. And that's okay. And you just keep trying you keep moving forward. And cool, cool, if you're okay with it, because some people really don't, I think at the end of the day, it's like some people really don't have an option to do something different, I feel like to some degree, I've fallen into that category in terms of music. Like, yes, if I lost my limbs tomorrow, it would be very difficult. Yes, I might have to go get a different job because I'm not rich, mm-hmm. right? Um, I can't no. retire. But for now, I can do this. And it's it would be very difficult to transition into like a corporate nine to five. I just know that about myself. Right. And so this sort of allows for me to do it. So I'm going to try to do that, but I really have to approach the relationship with music, with love and compassion, or it's just going to humble me over and over. And I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do justice by it. Right. And I'm only saying that now after years and years of trying to go through, starting from a place where like, of like you said, like, you know, you're cocky or you're arrogant. And I'm not going to pin that on Latino culture, on macho culture specifically. But yes, I definitely grew up around people that like, they were badass. They knew it. And they, they emulated that. They reminded me of it. You know, and they downplayed like, when are you going to do something, you know, legit with your life, Luis? You know, I'd hear that from my uncles, not just one. I'd hear that throughout my, <laughs> and I'm sure there was some bias. Eventually my dad was probably like, he is chosen this. He's a fucking musician, right? Sissy boy. I mean, I'm saying this, like, this is the kind of stuff that I'm like, I have to leave this toxic environment because I really, I'm not going to react very positively to this. So let's go be around people that are like, awesome. Well, I write music too and we should hang out and let's go have a beer. Let's go eat. Let's go. Let's hang out. Let's listen to records. It's like, oh, thank not God. Finding My your, people, your right? tribe, right? It's That is finding your tribe. And like, Look, if you're open to it, there are a lot of people out there in the world that they need people, they need ideas, they want ideas, they're open to it, but you have to be open to connecting with them or it's never going to happen. It just won't.
0: And being aware, being aware that the environment that you're currently in is not feeding you on multiple essential levels. And, you know, going out there like, mm-hmm. what's that saying? Shine your weird light bright so that the rest of the weirdos in the world can find you. You know, you kind of um, you kind of need to do that, because I think that when you're in a place that you don't feel comfortable in, you do feel weird. And there's a lot of other people that are (laughs) feeling like that, too, that. Are your tribe Absolutely. and are gonna allow you to find that success and and really support you in building that success as well.
1: Absolutely. And it's a conversation that happens quite often. You know, I have a 15-year-old, you know, um, who identifies as a girl who lives west side LA and goes to school in Santa Monica, and she's constantly doubting who she is. And it's like, look, you are who you are. You know, it's like getting to that place of acceptance. It takes a long time. Yeah. And I remember like high school is difficult for people. Like it was in middle school and all that, like that's difficult, challenging time of like sort of like going through your own identity. I don't want to call it a crisis, but your own identity realization of who you are. It's like, that doesn't really stop. And it can be facilitated and and helped when you start to find people that you do connect with. But that is a process and people do come in and out of your life and you kind of got to just like, you got to roll with it. And like, just because somebody's they've shifted they don't like you as much when you're a teenager. That doesn't mean that they're not going to come back around. That doesn't mean that you suck. That doesn't mean that you're dumb. That doesn't mean you're ugly. Like none of that applies. That's all very subjective. And what I'm trying to say is as we get older, that becomes less and less important. And what becomes important is really like finding and staying connected to the people that really do connect with your life. They They really hold you up. They want you around. And some of those people are going to Get jobs, or like if they're ambitious, they're gonna probably land, you know, and they're gonna be like, Hey, I need somebody to do some music. It's like, cool, hit me up, you know, because we're friends, right? Ultimately, we come from a similar place. And I think a lot of people, they just kind of like shoot themselves out of that equation early on because they just feel like shit. And our society, unfortunately, feeds a lot of that belief system, whether it's not just social media and media in general, but like there are the people that want to like, you know, you shine your light and like the crazier or whatever, the creative people find that. But then there's also like you shine your light and there's people that are there trying to put it out. Right. Right. And it's, that happened to me multiple times, you know, where it's like, it was a pattern. And how do you stop that? Well, deal for me, the only way was to like, okay, I just have to be better. Right. I just have to get my skills so good in a sense, what society or whoever thinks it's good. Somebody with third party validation is real. And it's like, that was the only way I could figure this out. Mm-hmm. You know, like otherwise it's like, I would have just forget. I would have given up and I don't know what I would have done, but I don't think I would have been a really good insurance salesman. No offense to insurance <laughs> sales people. I'm just saying like, I probably wouldn't, I'm not one to like sell something, you, you know, know, your talents I'm, or whatever, what, you know I'm, what and... your
0: skills are.
1: Yeah. And it's like, I think that that it would have been very easy at a certain point to just give up and like, screw this. <laughs> I don't need the pain and the suffering, you know, but ultimately if you keep setting your intentions and you the discipline, you keep showing up, and you keep working, eventually, 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 you're going to get better. And people will start to respond. And I mean better in the sense of like, undeniable, like, hey, that's pretty good. Cool. And then at a certain point, something's going to connect, but it's getting yourself through that sort of dark, hazy, weird state. That is very challenging. I do feel like it starts very early on in life. Um, oh, yeah. It did for me, you know, um, And I, and I think that like religion has its place. It's like, if you can connect with a community, great, but sometimes that community (laughs) can be toxic as well. I'm just saying like, if you can find like truth and like sincere people to really build your tribe or like find those people, don't forget that. That's almost more important than the actual people. It's just like, ah, connection, right? Oh, I connected with these people. The validation of that is like, that is life-changing. That's what you're gonna get out of it, right?
0: I want to just mention your music can be heard on 18 and a half, which is a comedy yeah. thriller about yeah. those infamous 18 and a half minute gap in the Nixon Watergate scandal. And you wrote Brasilia yeah. Bella, mm-hmm. which is a bossa nova track that's in there that is just so rich and luscious. And it's just beautiful. Thank I you. love it. Yeah, you're welcome. I was listening to it, like, over and over (laughs) for a bit there. Um, (laughs) Also, uh, Far More, which is a comedy drama about a fashion designer returning home, and I think almost everybody's heard of Whiskey Tango Foxtrot about a cable news producer who goes on assignment in Afghanistan, You also have music in a 2017 adventure comedy that's called Bernard and Huey about two mm-hmm. friends who are reuniting. Yeah. And one of the things that really made me smile was that you did the music for Malcolm Gladwell's uh, podcast series, Revisionist okay. History. He's yeah. one of my favorite authors. Outliers, yeah, I think, I think yeah, is one yeah, of the best yeah. books I've ever read.
1: Yeah, but... <laughs> I still work yeah. with him. I mean, we're working on season eight you know right now i work with him i work with like stephen dubner i mean i love those people that are like they're creating stuff that we sort of all pull from and then they're like hey what does the music sound like i'm like i don't know let's think about this for a minute like it's it's a little overwhelming but yeah somebody like Gladwell, glavis like
0: yeah it's that's bad you know
1: and his team it's really awesome you know um Yeah. And just some of the companies, you know, like the producers at Apple or at Netflix, Wild Wild West Picture Show. It's like there there are people over the year, David Clarkson, um, he has a company called Stalker. It's like there are people that I've worked with over the years that really have elevated what I'm doing. And they I mean, Malcolm Gladwell is no joke. A lot of people are listening to his podcast. I mean, millions and millions. Right. So and same with economics radio and like no stupid questions it's millions of people and so it's like you start to realize you're creating the soundtrack for sort of what we all are in a way we are all trying to sort of digest and make sense of this world and i I really feel lucky to find that i i don't know how i found that because there are many many composers out there to do that kind of work you know um that have a lot more say substantial credits but regardless it's back to our earlier discussion intention creativity i really do feel like intention's a big one and it's like that's the only way that that it's gotten me these types of situations because i feel like scoring a film or a tv writing a theme song for a tv show or whatever like yes i'm in los angeles i'm gonna find that at some point connecting with somebody like malcolm gladwell or stephen dubner or dr maya shankar or like any of those people that are really trying to sort of move the needle on how we view each other in a society that is that's the shit for me. That's what I want to do, right? That's always been what I've wanted to do. And whether it was music or not, it's like that to me is what's the important work. Like more so than entertainment is, you know, creating content that we can kind of stream on our phones and forget and escape. That's cool. Don't get me wrong, we need that. But really moving the needle on how we sort of deal with society and the world, that to me is the shit, you know. And that's mm-hmm. that's so important. That's such a, I feel like that's it's almost like advocacy. It's just like it's just very important work, you know, and I don't want to ever really stop doing that. And I don't even know how that happened, but like that's sort of, that's kind of become my jam, my bag. I don't even know.
0: I love it. I think it's really important as well, as is, you know, you're seeing it more important than entertainment. But I think, again, just going back to the fact that music often speaks for us when we can't speak what our feelings are. I think that it's so important that you've also toured with a lot of luminaries, you know, like just a lot of diverse musical styles. So I'm wondering how, when you prepare for it, cause I'm just going to name a few, mm-hmm. which is like folk music with Patty Griffin or rock with Peter Buck or Money Mark of the Beastie mm-hmm. Boys. And then there's jazz with Mose Allison yeah, yeah. and okay. Kevin Hayes. Yeah, right. And I have to say, (laughs) thank you for introducing me to Alejandro Escovedo. I had to actually go and listen to him say his name because, again, I was falling back on my Spanish. And I want to call him Alejandro Escovedo. But, you know, he's got this nostalgic kind of almost rockabilly Mm -hmm. genre of rock. And... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just listening to song after song, watched a couple of his videos, and I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. So thank you for introducing me to him via your website, which is Luis Guerra music.com But how do you prepare for all I of didn't this? Even know.
1: I mean, the Luminary people was literally, again, it was like you know, you get called and you're like, okay, I got to go learn a record or I got to learn how does the quarter note feel in, you know, folkier music. So I go to Nashville and watch people play, you know, and try to like get myself equipped. Or I, you know, I was playing tango um, early on with Glover Gill, who's an incredible writer, arranger, composer, um, who I think he's retired now. I think his last thing he brought, I mean, again, these were like Texas. Like I, I moved from San Antonio to Austin when I was 17. And that was sort of like, okay, I'm exposed to blues and Latin music and there was some funk and whatever. Then I had friends that were bringing me out to Los Angeles to do session work and somebody started a music house. So like, Hey, you should call Luis. He can write bossa Nova and he can write jazz and he plays all these styles because I was a bass player. So I would get called for all of these kind of random gigs. And I sort of lucked into, I'm going to say luck. Yes. I prepared myself. I practiced for sure. But when i'd get to a session it's like tell me what do you need you know like what are you looking for what is my job right and sometimes people would know and some sometimes peter buck was classic he's like i don't know let's just like jam and have fun and you're gonna play with rahim Alhaj was like he's like a big like i would just find these like really weird niche people that was sort of again outliers you mentioned outliers when i read that book it's like right that's sort of I mean, in a way, that's really what I was identifying with the whole time. And so when I I connected with somebody like Malcolm Gladwell, who is very mainstream in a sense, like we know it. I mean, he's very, very successful. He's like a celebrity. It was like, well, shit, man. It's like I found my tribe, right? And not only Malcolm, but like Mia LaBelle and Julia Barton and now Lee Mengetsu, and like Jacob Smith and Jacob Weisberg and like all these people that really they are too right and it was something like i think there was something about the music that i was creating that sort of resonated across the board it was like there's our guy on the music let's get him involved right and it was it just it clicked because i know they were looking for they had gone through many many composers reels right and so it's sort of again back to that when you find the people and that's what patty griffin was that's what Alejandro. at a certain point Alejandro, i mean this that was a very different time of my life was much younger Mm -hmm. um and then 9 11 happened and i just like i quit touring um at that point then i started touring again and then in my 30s i had my daughter i was like okay i'm done touring and then now later in my life it's like oh well shit now i have ms it's like i'm not the thought of touring would just that just causes panic so i'm gonna stay home which is great because now i have like a job you know, I have like banker's hours. My friends make fun of me, and my LA friends that are like editors or showrunners are like, I don't know any musicians that have banker's hours except you, Luis. And I'm like, it's true, right? <laughs> like, I kind of like keep <laughs> so I can go home and hang out and relax. Like, <laughs> when I was hanging out with on the road and doing tours and doing session work, I was of a completely different mindset. And I think just having sheer ability, talent, practice, that all kind of played in and so the preparation came from a lot of that like better learn a recording or let's write a chart and i would just throw whatever i could to do it and i didn't always keep those gigs like let's be clear like i mean you know i, I it wasn't that i would get fired per se like get the fuck out of here it was more like I wouldn't get called back all the time or I wouldn't necessarily do more recordings or I was only the guy that would, cause again, you know, let's talk about, there was this sort of typecasting, like, well, he's Latino. So let's get him on the record where we're going to play boleros with Patty Griffin. Okay, cool. But you know, as time went, it's like, I developed friendships with some of those musicians from Alejandro's band or from, Patty, and it's like I still use those people as much as I can. I try to employ them as session musicians because they are really phenomenal musicians. They've become—that's all they've done in this. And I'm not trying to minimize that. That's what they focused on for so many years that they've truly become masters of their instrument. I'm not like I'm—I'm okay at these instruments like bass and guitar and piano. Like I can play. I can hear some chords. I can play some stuff. I can pound stuff out. But really, if I need a, a like a legit piano player i'd want to hit up kevin hayes and he might not even take the job because he's like no that guy was a complete genius virtuoso but that's okay i'm just saying i'm using that as an mm-hmm. example like there are many ways to prepare for it, and so now it's like let's send a script you know based on what i've done for all these shows or imdb or tv it's like now producers can kind of go they can go to my website and sometimes it's out of date like right now i know there's an update with probably another I don't know five projects but whatever it's like there's enough there for people to get a sense of like was this the sound we're looking for right is this what we're because that's sort of how I'm going to approach it through the lens of all those experiences from way back in the day for me that where I prepared and I studied music and I learned about folkloric styles and folk music and got schooled on the bandstand by Alejandro or got called a sissy or whatever it was and still got through it and then got to this place where I was like, yeah, now I know a little bit about rock and roll. And now I know a little bit about how to play with space between my notes. And now I'm better intonation on my bass. And like, that is important. So when I go to compose, it's like, those are all my influences that are feeding into what I'm doing, as opposed to like, I didn't grow up composing music or going to western composition Uh, i didn't go to juilliard i didn't even get accepted to a music school right so am i self-taught yes to some degree but like i learned a lot on the bandstand because that's how i paid my bills i didn't have an option you know what i'm saying and so that sort of has now culminated into like no i really really like writing and composing and arranging like i really i think about it 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 exists in my subconscious mind all the time that's probably a good fit for me as long as i can do this and show up i am gonna
0: do this (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah and you put together compositions where you're playing every instrument i mean i saw a very short one where you you did a little the raccoon which i just thought was so cute (laughs) but um and and really fun and innovative and creative and all of that you know but um how easy is it to move from one instrument to the next? And you know, like mm-hmm. how do you put a composition together? I think, like,
1: I think what where it starts from is your strength, right? For what I'm trying to do, it does work, and again, the raccoon theme that became a full-on composition. I'm sh- there will be another video, I imagine, but it's not necessarily just me performing. I'm sort of like the idea engine person. Like I'm like this is what the raccoons, and sometimes it sticks. But I'm not the best, right? And I know really great musicians, so I can go be like, okay, go cut all the percussion and make it sound like a legit cha cha cha. I think that's what we were doing for the raccoon. The raccoon theme is is. Um, We're going to hear that later on. We'll hear some version of that later on in the year when it comes out on a show I'm working on. So there's like a whole backstory to that that I can't disclose because I have an NDA. And okay, but to answer your question, it's like I'm trying to my job is to try to get ideas onto paper or in my computer or whatever at my studio as quickly as possible. So it really does come down to the basic elements. Right tempo the rhythm is a rhythm is it going to be just completely arrhythmic or is it going to be something that's out of tempo um okay so that's one same thing with harmony am i going to do something atonal probably not most likely i'm going to do something with chords because that's sort of where i come from and i do think that harmony is a important part and then what's the melody or maybe i'll work backwards here's my melody right and i've already sung it onto my old school um 2012 iphone well i guess it's old school now (laughs) there's like a voice memo that has that it's got the melody or maybe i've written it wrote it down on a sketch right i have a sketchbook that i carry around that's got like staff paper and maybe i wrote down a melody right because back to that earlier work i did with my orchestration teacher who helped me do that right and so there's a starting point now i got to fill in the harmony now i got the rhythm so what is that right ultimately it's like i don't know what is that well ask yourself well let's see is it hooks you know or is it a shaker i don't have a shaker in here is it a you know is it a mug is it a beat that i'm going to put a play on my mpc or is it like a drummer right or a percussionist and a bass is it going to be acoustic bass it's going to be electric bass it's going to be moog so again it's like those elements i can cover pretty well to at least get the idea rolling and then i can get a sketch or a demo and sometimes that sketch becomes the final proof right that becomes accepted because the producers are like we really love the raccoon theme that you came up with luis and it's just like perfect for our show whatever and i'm like great because i literally thought about that for five minutes and was having fun right and it was a joke right it was sort of like my friends like have this camera and he's like let's film you doing and he wants to show up all the time because i'm doing shit all (laughs) the time but i can't i just it's like i can't coordinate it and So it's like, I mean, yes, come and come and film something. But it's literally like, what am I doing today? I'm doing something for Valentine's for a streamer. I have three other cues to do for another show I'm working on where I don't have a lot of time to think about all of the elements. And so it's sort of like I work from a template that I or templates. Um, So a template might be like exists. I use Pro Tools a lot is my DAW. So I might have like already 25 instruments pulled up and 10 tracks where I can play. I just plug in my electric bass or a bass in the studio and maybe my amp is already like amped up and it it is and I can just like play some guitar chords and like, boom, then I kind of move on, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. And then I'll go back and listen to it. I'm like, um, I really don't like that. Okay, scratch. Let's listen to the second idea. That's pretty cool. Who is going to make that better? And who can I afford to like? Who really will make it better that I can afford to do it and is actually going to do the job? And that's sort of my process because a lot of times when you get into famous people and celebrities and they won't deliver, you know, because they're too busy and they have their own career. So I'm not going to hit up Peter Buck. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hit up. Well, Moses Allison is dead. He probably would do it. No one hit that guy. He was crazy, but. It's just like, no, you start to build again back to the tribe, right? It's like, who are the people that really will do it? Maybe I should bring in a producer slash mixer and let him or them or her get their people involved and do a different spin on the theme that I sort of mocked up based on whatever random shit that I imagined in the five minutes when I was thinking about literally about like, for example, raccoons, like I don't know why you know, and the story behind that is like it's a funny episode, and it's kind of like I don't know, and it might work. You know, ultimately it's going to go back to the, the producers, and they're going to be the ones that are cutting it in on this particular show, and like if it doesn't work, they'll let me know. But they better have other options, or I'll probably lose the the job.
0: <laughs> so yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? so it's really
1: like. I, it's like nothing is precious in my life and in my world. Like there's always better ideas. There's always better musicians. There's always better mixers. There's always better people that can do it. But like ultimately it's going to come down to how quick can I get that idea? And back to meditation, if, if I'm meditating on like, I need a theme for a show, blah, blah, blah. What does it sound like? Da, da, da. And I have it right. And I've memorized it or I've recorded it, you know, on my phone or whatever. I literally have to get that down before it sort of expires, the the sort of expiration. Yeah. So that, I don't know if that answered, I think that answered your question, but that's sort of like how I kind of do a deep dive. And I've been doing that all the way back to learning how to play like the bass lines or play on a record or whatever, like all the way back to my, you know, teens and early twenties, all the way to now, you know, my later forties.
0: Yeah, that definitely answered my question. And I also get that I, you know, when you have an idea, you think, oh, this is such a strong exactly. idea. It's so concrete. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to forget. And 20 minutes later, you've forgotten. So <laughs> I can see
1: why you need to do it and in real time. Position specifically, I think it's very, 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 I cannot stress the varies enough, how easy it is to fall in love with your ideas. And they're not, they're just ideas. And I'm only saying that because it's like when I've sold pieces of music to somebody who's like, we would just want to own the rights and like, give us, that's it. Like, I can't use that idea ever again. I cannot re-record it. I've assigned the copyright and I've been handed a fat, you know, payday. It's suddenly like the realization, okay, instead of lament, I'll just go write another one and it's going to be different. And it's sort of like when you get to that place in your life where you feel liberated with your creative influences, it doesn't matter. Because it, it it used to be, I used to be like, oh, I am only as good as my last idea. It's like, no, man, it's constantly flowing. Like, I just have to tap in, you know, because it yeah. is there. And it's like they might be good, but they might not. And really, back to the black IPs, it's like until I do something at that level. I mean, yeah, that's very, very it's very hard to pull off. So, like, don't get so married to your ideas. You know what I mean.
0: I like that. The whole concept of if you're able to think at once, you're able to think something different again. It's like the, this endless river, right?
1: and these ideas are not, don't be precious about it. You got to have fun, right? Like, okay, so the, I'm going to segue into MS because part of the raccoon theme um, video was my friend getting pissed off that somebody had hit me up and is a close friend of mine you know, who I disclose this to, but I was like, yeah, so-and-so hit me up and they're like, oh, I heard you're really sick and that you're not doing music anymore. I was like, fuck that. Like, I mean, I got upset about that. I was like, who the hell is, why are they saying that? Because that becomes a rumor and that's bad, you know, for the condition. And I want to correct that. So it's sort of like, yeah, I'm doing music. You know, I can still play. Yes. I can still do these things um, just like I could a few years ago. And maybe there's, maybe I'm better at it. I don't know. But I'm also trying to expose the fact that, like, I work in a very methodical, simple way. Like, I'm not trying to be a ridiculously talented technician, right, on any of the instruments. And I want to be very clear about that because I think some people have the expectation, well, they knew me as a bass player and I could play bass. There was definitely a time. But I'm like, you want to hear a really good bass player? You should go watch my daughter. She's playing on these soundtracks now on multiple things I've had her on. she's been on she was on 18 and a half she just played on the uh, a theme song for a show I just did for Stitcher. Anyway, the point is she's playing at a level that's so dialed into technical ability that I never had that that it's like no. Nah. And people are like, "But that's your 15-year-old daughter." I'm like, "She's playing at the level of somebody in their 20s. She's clearly beating me on the bass, right? Which I did have a career." So <laughs> Let's not downplay that. But yes, of course, like, is it her teacher that's, you know, with the L.A. film? No, but that guy's like a thousand bucks a day. And it's like, I'm not going to get him all every time I need a theme. And this is great experience for somebody and credits and she gets paid. And I feel like I'm sort of developing secondhand a potential to work in studios. She might abandon it. Cool. Great. It doesn't matter. I can't do it. And so it's identifying that your strengths and moving on and like finding people that's very important to completing these themes. Because I think a lot of people feel like yes, I do play a lot of my instrumentation. Yes, of course I do that. Because that's that's how fast I'm working. And yes, I can play. I've made it my job. I play instruments every day, pretty much all day. And so I have a certain amount of technique and facility. But when there's something that needs to be like, no, I need like a legit vibraphonist or a legit marimba player, or accordionist. It's like I'm not gonna do try that. That'll take me six months to do. You know what I mean? And, right. so that, and that's the beauty of living in Los Angeles, right? We can call people that are like, oh yeah, I'll be there in you know a couple hours. And
0: what do you need me to bring? You
1: know. And that's exactly.
0: How, you do. how does MS affect your ability to to work and and really just like Take me through one of your days and what you're doing to um, just just what happens. Yeah, so like MS
1: is is a you know for those people that don't know it is a neurodegenerative disease, and the sooner you catch it, the sooner you can stop progression. That's the idea. You're you, but you start taking these sort of d- disease modifying therapies that really can alter your. Immune system, they can alter the way, they can alter your moods, they can alter, they can do a lot of things to your body. So I, I am currently on one. I'm on my second one because I was probably taking a treatment for a while that did not work. Now, going back, I probably have had this and I, I'm supposing this, right? But I most likely have had this for a long time, but I didn't know that. And I was having a lot of issues, but I was sort of dealing with it holistically yoga, some diet, a lot of exercise. Not even meditation. I just wasn't, I was just like, ah, whatever, you know, blown it off. At a certain point during COVID, things took a turn for the worse or, you know, they, they got, they got more severe and it got to a point where I was like starting to like, I don't know what is up with my body. I need to go see somebody. And finally, and again, you know, this is the healthcare system that we are in or that I'm in, um, which is I'm going to say very it's great but it's sort of broken. It's great in that like I meet with specialists that are incredible, but it is broken that it's very difficult to navigate, it's very slow. And this is like a good, I have good insurance, okay? So it, long story short, I eventually met somebody who looked at my health records and there's neurological conditions in my family. There's been Parkinson's, there's been muscular dystrophy, which I don't know if that's totally neurological. Um, There's lupus, there's, they're they're things. So it was like, there's red flags, right? This is like 2020. I'm kind of giving him a rundown. I'm like, I'm really feeling awful. And like, this is kind of fucking me up. And like, it's starting to affect my work. And like, it's really creating a lot of questions is more at that point. It was less debilitating. There was some debilitating stuff going on he's like, well, let's get you with a neurologist, you know, go get a consult and let them know what you're going through. And then they're going to take it from there. And I'm like, great idea. Let's do that. That took me six months to get to that point. Right. Or whatever, eight months, you know, and like really getting to a point where I'm starting to kind of panic and I am doing my job and nobody knows that I, most people don't even know that I've been dealing with this. Right. So eventually, I got MRIs and the uh, diagnosis came in and it's like, yeah, dude, you've got multiple sclerosis and you've got RMS and you have little lesions in your brain and on your spinal cord. And yeah, it's, it can affect all kinds of things, right? From mobility to cognitive function to... We don't know about creative um part but it basically can like affect parts of your brain right and your spinal cord so like that plays out and on a bad day for me what i'm going through right now is i'm dealing with um neuropathy or like um even more specific like neurogenic pain which happens intermittently and we don't know if it is and i say we because now my team is like there's two neurologists. There is a sort of non-traditional healer that deals with what we do. I do like light therapy and I do like physical therapy. And so there's that person. I go to a neuroacupuncturist in Los Angeles who's amazing. She's fantastic. And she treats people with neurological disorders. I also consult with an IHP, which was also an MD. IHP is integrative health practitioner. And right now, for whatever reason, like I, got, I caught COVID in September. I am going through the ringer with, intense, debilitating pain. And I'm not making that up. And and I do want to share that with people because we don't know if it's MS, but there is an assumption that it's like, I've just either just destroyed a nerve, like, or some nerves that's like shooting into my radial nerve on my, predominantly on my left arm. And what happens is I'll have these pain attacks that last, let's say roughly an hour and it shuts everything down. There is no, you don't even get near me because I become... I'm very agitated. I've become a different person. There is no music. There's no texting. There's no emailing. There's no conversation. Like, I'm right, clearly right now, I'm not even going through this. I take meds for that. I take a DMT. And I, my friend, I am very lucky. I have a very close friend who just called me a couple of days ago. Her husband called me and was like, man, we just got a really bad diagnosis for so-and-so's MS. And that is that she's secondary progressive. I am in the earlier... Progression of this disease. So that means that she is confined to a wheelchair. She is sharp as a tack. That means that, like, for wherever these lesions have occurred on her, it's affected her mobility, but not her cognitive ability. For me, it's probably affected some, maybe a little cognition, but not so much. Like, I don't feel slowed down. I don't feel impaired, but it's definitely creating disabling. Um, it, it, well, I think that there's a disabling attack. It could be something else. There could be something else going on. So I'm trying to get through that, but we're literally talking about six months. I cannot book a trip. I'm lucky I have my studio down the street. I can walk, but I can't ride my bike anymore because I'm afraid that I'm going to get an attack. I I bike around Los Angeles and that's me. Like I'm still able to work. I'm still able to run my businesses and write and like communicate and have a relationship with my wife, who's incredible, who's also like been helping me and like caretaking. I've also become plant-based to lower inflammation. All of these things that I'm doing to try to be proactive are not working. And I want to be clear of that because I don't know if it's MS, but it's like, it's not just me. There's like eight people involved right now, but some, you know, my extended family, my friends, a couple of people in my music community, you know, um, a lot of people don't even know that I deal with this, and I'm able to uh, still hit deadlines because it's like sometimes I, you just don't sleep, right? And I don't know if that's MS or the drugs or what, but it's like, that is my life now and that is not gonna go away. There is no cure for this. There is no change for this. All that I can do at this point is stop or slow the progression, which I think I'm doing. And so far we we know about that and it's allowing for me to continue working, but it has radically altered my life. Like The thought of going on the road right now, no way there's no fucking way I would be caught on an airplane or on stage because what if you have an attack? You're like, you're literally, you're kneecapped and it's, and that's me. That's just me. Like, that's not, (laughs) that's not other people. They're like, they can't walk or they can't move their arms, but they can have a conversation. So what I'm trying to say is like, it is a very mysterious condition. There's not that much known. There are treatments. It is, um, on one hand it's very um deflating defeating sad but on the other hand it's like god i feel so enlightened by this and so much more empathetic and compassionate toward other people like everybody's dealing with something right that's what i feel like and i feel like i my friends that are addicts it's like i feel for them because i was probably had some sort of addiction that i was dealing with prior to this which thank god i'm not anymore and it's just it's really fascinating part of life and it's like it does it absolutely fuels my music. People are like, well, your music, some of your music is so dark and like, it's so emotional. I'm like, yeah, come live, <laughs> come spend a day with me in my shoes and you probably better understand where I'm pulling some of this from. It's not just because I'm imagining like the blues or what, you know, like.
0: You're living it. You know, I had um, just a slight connection to what you're talking about because I did a little bit of research. I don't really know a whole mm. lot about MS, but I know that I think those lesions are that's the myelin sheath right, right. where the damage is and the myelin sheath is what protects your nerve endings and my ears really perk up when I hear that because I think I was about 34 years old mm-hmm. and I had shingles and shingles destroys your myelin sheath and if it goes untreated you end up with this neuropathic pain that you're talking about so I am so sorry that you're experiencing that because I know it's incredibly yeah. incapacitating. Yeah. And I was, you know, like you said, I'm really, really lucky because Good. I didn't get that post neuralgia that can happen with shingles. But it almost sounds like you get you ambushed by this disease. Like you don't know you when don't. it's going and it's, to. And it, so
1: the insecurity of all of that makes you realize that you you really have to focus on the moment. If I get into the future self mode, like, oh, I've got to do this and I'm going to go do that and I'm going to travel. It just causes an extreme anxiety for me because it's like I'm li- I've am been here and I love Los Angeles and like I can think of worse places to be. Don't get me wrong. But it's like I've been trapped here for six months. Right? <laughs> I cannot leave until I figure out what is going on with like what's the next chapter of all of this. You know, it's unfortunate that people have had to like encounter me when I'm going through a situation, but that is the reality. And I'm not alone. Like there are millions of people spread out in the world. There's millions of people undiagnosed with this. And, and you know what? And I'm going to just share this. It's like when my neurologist told me, well, the good news is I was like, holy fuck. Are you, I'm sorry. I curse a lot, but it's like, are you kidding That's me? Okay. She's like, yeah, you don't have a tumor. We don't see any signs of, you're going to have a stroke or blockage oh and you don't have ALS. I'm like, oh God, but what do I do have? She's like, well, you have MS, but don't worry. I'm like, what does that mean? I didn't even know what, I was like, what does that mean? You know, what does that fucking mean? And the mystery of it and where it is it is at and being sort of subjected to healthcare. And I'm somebody that has insurance. I have resources. I have, I have access I can only imagine what people are going and I'm vocal about it. Like, I mean, ask me now, but I was not, I was like, Oh my God, I can't tell anybody I'm going to get fired. And this is going to happen. And now I was like freaking out. And, but it's like, so what? Like people should know. Right. And people with MS, like they should share that. And there should be support groups in my mind. Right. And maybe call me an idealistic person, but it's like, I want to help people because what I'm dealing with, I hope that no one, that you never have to go through it and no one in your extended family has to deal with it and nobody in my extended family has to deal with it because it is not, it's not okay. And to be sort of panned and to like, well, we'll talk to you next week. It's like, so what am I supposed to do in the between now and next week? You know what I'm saying? Like you still have to get through the next six days and like the clock doesn't stop. The world doesn't stop turning. And I want to be really clear. Like I know- very talented people with MS or lupus or really bad degenerative painful disorder or um, conditions and like you know as time goes you're like I'm all right I can do this I can do that but it's like no yeah I mean it's like you really have to be vigilant so like back to that earlier part of our conversation it's like I'm spending a lot of my days doing this and I feel like even though like every podcast invite that I get I'm trying to take it because I want to Use it as an opportunity to at least message, because I have friends that are really going through a hard time, you know, or colleagues in the MS world that they don't have funds to pay for drugs, right? And the drugs are really expensive. And insurance companies are ruthless, right? They're like, so unfair. No, Tell prove us, prove to us that you're sicker than you are. I'm like, you want to come and live in my shoes? Like, I'm like, who made that decision? Right. And it's hard to not get upset about this because this is just one condition and people are like ah, MS, whatever you can live with it. You'll be all right. And it's like, I don't know. Will I, you know, it's like, tell that to my friend who's like, she's confined to a wheelchair and she's in her early 50s. Right. Tell her. Is that OK? Like.
0: It's so tough when you take a look at somebody like, you know, there's a couple of people that I'm thinking of that are really vocal about this, which is Selma Blair. I'm a huge Hellboy fan. And I love what she's doing. It's so hard to watch, but she's just such a survivor and just such a strong person and really trying to educate everybody about MS. And then also Christina Applegate. And I am incredibly grateful to you that you're talking about this, because I think a lot of people don't understand it. They don't, Perhaps realize, you know, like I said, yeah. I didn't know a lot about MS, the insurance aspect, or being able to pay for the drugs that you need in order to slow down the progress or to treat this terrible pain that you're talking about. That's huge a issue. Huge,
1: huge issue, issue, right? And all I can say is that, like, the good news is, like, I'm not alone in this fight and it, it sort of hit me later in life. So I'm kind of, I guess I'm luckier. I mean, at least it was diagnosed later in life. I've probably had it for many years just based on the softer symptoms of it. But I mean, I'm going to do my part because it, and I, am not mincing words. It will fuck you up. And I'm not mincing words And and I'm living it. I am extremely, extremely lucky because I can feel my hands, I can talk to you, I can see still, I can hear, I can do music. Like I feel very, very lucky, but I had to make some radical changes. And I don't think everybody realizes the power of like an anti-inflammatory diet and the power of meditation and the power of mind control, and you know, trying to control your mind, the power of yoga, the power of music, right? I can make binaural sound in my studio. Like I have that luxury, but I wanna make a soundtrack that is, I just need time you know um i need time but i want to make a soundtrack that sounds like what i'm experiencing because it is really intense and i'm it's it's intense to the point where a lot of people like ah you're just too emotional and blah 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 and it's like well no, maybe you have a high threshold for pain you know like good for you or you have a high threshold for these things but not all of us do and i and i applaud anyone who is willing to christina applegate being one just like stop working on her show. Like, yeah, I'm sure you know she's successful and she can like retire and whatever. But it's like literally, she cannot physically deal with the demands of producing a show that was a really good show, right? And she had right. to pull herself out of the game, right? And she's young. It's like my friend, she's young. And like I'm pretty damn mm-hmm. young. So what where am I at in four years, five years? That's my concern. And that's why I'm so vigilant about. Everything that we've discussed, because I don't know where this goes from here, and I'm not going to go into future minder. That's going to just stress me out. So, luckily today it's awesome. There's been zero attacks, but I had four in the last two days, and it literally kneecapped me. And it's like I still have deadlines, and that's fine because I can still do it. But I want to be clear that this is like not going away for us people that have this condition, and we all want to like be creative and. Do our jobs, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get to do it. And so like, I got to be all right with that. If it changes, then all right. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what, what, what comes next, but here we are, you know, and at least we're talking. about it.
0: Yeah. I just think it's impressive and heroic that you're able to work around these limitations and bring this kind of attention to a very limiting Disorder. I, um, I'm sorry I that you're going through this. You being
1: willing to have me talk about it, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak about it. Um, and and really, I want to leave it on a positive note. And that is the little bit of research and the people that I'm kind of in, you know, following around this subject. Really, do feel like that we are very close to a breakthrough to reducing um, or to finding a cure for MS. But that does not reverse the damage done. And that's the unfortunate part about this, because you're you're right, it's like the myelin sheaths are like, once they go, it, there's nobody is like regenerating, them, right? I mean, we're not. yet. So I really do feel like in the next five to 10 years, we're going to find something there, there'll be a cure, or there'll be something where it's like it's you're just managing it, like you're just you just make sure you take your meds, you know, whatever it is. But until we get to that point, we're not there yet. And there's a lot of risk around some of these drugs from being immunocompromised to more damage, to more neurological damage to other issues, mood disorders and whatnot. And so I, I think we'll proceed lightly or um, cautiously, not lightly, we'll proceed cautiously, but luckily there are some really, really incredible minds trying to solve this problem. And it's it's kind of a beautiful community, I gotta say. Like, I mean, just some of the people I've met through this, it's just, they're, I'm just so inspired by what they're doing. They go before Congress, they're like, I don't have money for my drugs. You need to change something. It's like, how are you going to deny those people that, you know, and talk about like strong people. It's pretty rad. I got to say. So, I mean, it's, it's just part of the tribe, but yeah, until we meet again, who knows where it goes. But like I said, I just don't want to go there. And luckily I can still write music right now. I'm, I'm going to <laughs> like, keep me in the game as long as possible. Yeah,
0: <laughs> definitely. I'm so glad that uh, you're able to do that. And um, I know I had another question and I just, I didn't write it down. Oh, okay. See what happens. I didn't write it down. <laughs> but what I wanted to do is if people want to see what you're up to, yeah. reach out to you, how Great can they
1: question. find you? I would say like, yeah, music.com. You'll always find me. I try to answer every inquiry or content. There's a form on there. You can hit me up there. You can send me an email, music at gmail.com. That's spelled L-U-I-S-G-U-E-R-R-A music at gmail.com. I'm pretty reachable. That's like a really good way you could follow me. I don't post a lot on social media. I'm trying to. And my friend is like, I got to start helping you. But um, you can follow me on Instagram. I can't even remember (laughs) what the handle is. I think it's at Luis Guerra Music, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say that I'm trying to use the same handle. I don't have a ton of followers i don't post a lot but i'm on spotify i'm out there like i mean you know there's a really great web person that helps me out and so like they've really tried to like put me out there and i get mentions you know from like gladwell or stephen dubner or, you know or dan Mervish. like i have some friends that like they're out there like constantly posting stuff and so you'll hear about me it's interesting it's like i keep running into like shows that are using my music or they've licensed something and it's like little by little I'm getting my work out there, you know? And I think over time it'll be easier. I'm hoping that the sort of MS thing doesn't shadow what I'm doing, but I also hope that it sort of amplifies to some extent because there aren't a lot of musical people that have come out with that. I know there are some, but I do want to represent if I can and and help people out. And I think people with disabilities in general are completely underrepresented. So hit me up on any of those platforms or, my email or website and we'll get the conversation going
0: and I'll put um, up links. Yeah.
1: I mean, you found me through um, a mutual friend. I, I think I'm not, I'm not that hard to find, but yes, yeah, sometimes I'm just so busy. I, I don't get back to people immediately, but I'm, I'm around, you know, and uh, I love working with people. Like, I mean, if there's a cool project, pitch it to me, like, let's go, you know, <laughs> like why not? You know? But if you, I mean, a lot of people are like, Oh, they don't want to approach me because of this or that. I'm like, just, send me an email. I don't care. Like, you know, who am I? You know, I'm just a person. So um, I I really do love working and collaborating with people. You know, I'm trying to find something that's for projects that are cool and inspiring, you know.
0: It's so great listening to that episode in its entirety. You know, this is one of those conversations that I regularly return to. And it's because there's so much meaningful observation and nuggets of wisdom in Luis's perspective of life. And despite the heaviness of the obligations of work and trying to navigate all of the aspects of life with such a challenging illness like MS, Luis manages to present it in an uplifting and warm manner. And I'm just so grateful to Luis for his open generosity and sharing what he goes through while dealing with ms i am with every fiber of my being hoping for a cure for ms and i hope that you go and visit his websites listen to his music i have links in the show notes so please check them out also please keep sending in your questions and comments i read all of them And if you have a fun, amazing, or inspiring story to share, drop me a line. I'd love to hear it. The world needs more amazing stories. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Sil Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, courage, health, elegance and beauty.